what are the marks of a good church? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. By a good church, we mean not just an authentic fellowship of believers, that would be rare enough, but also a church that's attractive to someone who's genuinely interested in real life from the true God. What signs would such a person look for, consciously or unconsciously? Pastor Jim will help us think about that as he opens a new series in the book of Colossians. Both the sermon and the series are called The People of God. Here's part one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, Therefore, since all of this is true, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. In just a moment, we'll come back and visit about this picture, this description of what folks ought to find when they come into the fellowship of the people of God in the local church. As Tricene and I traveled the last several weeks through the South, I was impressed with all of the churches down there. I mean, the church buildings. It would seem that every block has a church, or that at least there's enough churches to go around one for every two blocks. I was amazed at the wide variety of the way the churches look. Some are very simple wood structures sometimes setting alone. Some are massive campuses. You would think that you were at a university or a government 
installation. The lawns are, are, are manicured. They are impressive structures. And as I drove along thinking, where ought we, where would we like to worship during the Sundays that we can't be here with our church family? Now, you can't go by the labels. You know that, don't you? I mean, it, it may say Baptist, but boy, mm, there's all kinds of Baptist churches. It may say Presbyterian. It may say those labels no longer have guarantees of what you're going to find when you pass the bulletin board and enter the sanctuary. So you can't go by that, and, and you can't even go by the, the uh, advertising, the banners you see, or the bulletin board out front, you know, are you, are you owned by the debt you owe? Such clever phrases. I sometimes wonder who those folks are trying to communicate those messages to. And often the sermon titles are less than intriguing. How to be successful on $10,000 a year. How to make a million, two months. I mean, those kinds of sermon attitudes and sermon announcements really don't excite me. And I doubt that they really excite the average person who is church shopping. Of course, the reality is but the church is not the building, is it? My family is not the house that we currently live in. My family is the people who live in that house and call it home. What, I ask myself, would I like to find? What, what characteristics should mark a church where I would want to go, or to make a more direct statement, what should people experience who come here, who through whatever reason are prompted to get up on Sunday or Monday night or Wednesday night, any of the services, and come to be with us? based upon God's work in our lives, which makes us his people and makes us the true church, and based upon his word, the Bible, where he tells us how we ought to behave, what should people find? What's the checklist? Well, this morning in Colossians chapter 3, there are three things that stand out in these verse 13 verses. The first thing you'll notice that you should sense as you come into the fellowship of a group of Christians, whether in a small Bible study or in a home church or in an auditorium or in a warehouse or whatever the physical properties that you meet, one of the first things you should sense is that these people are, mark this down, they are heavenly focused. 
heavenly focused. We should sense that these people are preoccupied with heavenly things. In chapter 3, verse 1, that's where the Apostle Paul starts. He says, if, and that grammatical phrase there would be more clearly expressed if we translated that verse, since you have been raised together with Christ. That marvelous work of God, which we have dubbed born again, which Jesus described and promised in John 3, which is the cornerstone and beginning for every child of God. That's how you become a child of God. You have to be born to be a child. You can't get here any other way. And before you can be a child of God, you must be born again. Well, part of that dynamic is being raised together with Christ. But since that is so, then seek those things which are above. Above where? Well, where Jesus is, at the right hand of the Father, seated. Set your affection, or focus your thinking on things above, not things on the earth. For you're dead. Now think about that. If you're visiting with us this morning, I would hope that already in the songs we've sung, in the prayers we've prayed, I hope in the manner and attitude that you have noted, I hope you have sensed that, that, that we are a people who are focused on things out of this world. That our primary goal is not to change the world. And that most of our energies begin with heavenly realities. Frankly, I think we as Grace Brethren ought to be encouraged to talk more about heaven. Since I've been gone, some wonderful saints are now in heaven. Tim Wagner's father, Pastor Tim's father, and Joe Patchy, and and others who, during our absence, move from this world to the presence of Christ. Well, was that a loss for them or a gain? It was a gain. And if you came to the funeral memorial service, I hope that you would sense that, that we are excited for these, our dearest friends, who have laid down their earthly tabernacle and they're now in heaven. Now, that's one of the things which are above. The apostle tells us that we should be setting our minds and we should be focusing on heavenly things. Well, what are the heavenly things? I mean, we know there are angels up there, right? And the apostle references the fact that there is a throne, a throne of God, and Jesus is there. But what else is up there? Go find out. This week, make that a top priority. See if you can discover heavenly things. Now, you only have one source, and it's lying there in your lap. That's the only bona fide text we have 
about what heaven is truly like because it's the only text that the author of heaven has inscribed in human language. And that's where Jesus was before he came into the world through the womb of Mary and became a man. So he came from that sphere, that place above. And he can tell us and has told us about those things. So get acquainted with heavenly things. The, we should be a people who are heavenly focused. We really are passionate about heavenly things. Now, secondly, the people of God, the visitor who comes to grace, should sense that we are possessors of hidden fortunes. Hidden. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, not was, not will be, is our life. When Christ, who is our life, will be revealed, then we also will be revealed or manifest with him in glory. People should sense, if they come to our church, that we have a magnificent future. We are looking forward to some incredible things that God has promised to do for us individually, personally, and for us as a body of believers, and for the world that he has created. That word hidden means that you can't see it. <laughs> no. You, you can't see all there is to see of me right now. Matter of fact, the most significant things about me you can't see. And I'm not just talking about the fact that there are things in my heart, but I'm talking about the fact that they are things that are mine that are right now treasured or resourced or hidden with God. In other words, the visit this morning should be deeply impressed that we're not beating each other up over money. That frankly... Our Heavenly Father has more money than we could ever need for anything he wants us to do. The visitor should be impressed that we are not gouging each other, putting guilt trips on each other. Our Heavenly Father, through his Spirit, has all the gifts and abilities and capacities we will ever need to do everything that we ever are called upon to do to serve and honor him. But that word hidden, hidden, hidden. Um, as you travel around this week, you will probably find some of these. You've been raking a lot of them, I'm sure. We were impressed as we came north that... Uh, the trees up here are just about bare. And uh, if you went out and looked at my lawn, you'd see that I have some tasks awaiting me this week. Now, think with me for a moment. 
This leaf is dead. It's disconnected from the tree. Does that mean that the tree is dead? No. Not by a long shot. Several years ago, I wanted to remove a tree in our backyard because I wanted to preserve this special tree from which this leaf came. It's an oak, and it was at that time about as high as, oh, maybe here. But behind it, to the south, and blocking its portion of the sun, was a huge, I think it's an ash tree, I'm not sure. And there were two hickories. I transplanted the two hickories to another part in the yard because they were smaller, but this, this ash tree was growing much, much faster than the little oak, and the little oak was actually bending away, you know, bending away from it because it was being robbed of the sun resources, and I wanted to change that. So I decided that I would destroy the larger ash tree. So I cut off the limbs. <laughs> Now remember, I'm from West Virginia, so give me some slack here. <laughs> I, I cut off the limbs, and I thought, there, that'll do it. You think that did it? No, I didn't kill the tree. So I stripped the bark. I, I, I took a path about this wide and went all the way around the tree and stripped the bark off. I thought, there, that'll do it. You think that did it? No, that didn't do it. My father, who was visiting at that time, took a drill out and drilled holes through it and poured in some salt water and there we thought that'll do it. Think that did it? No, that didn't do it. Why? Why? Why didn't that work? Well, because you see, the life of the tree is in the root system and that's hidden. And all that you see in the tree, including the leaves which come and go, all that you see in the tree above the ground is a manifestation of the life that's in the tree, but that life is hidden in the roots. Pretty soon, pretty soon the tree will be covered with ice and snow. You know that, don't you? Yeah, you know that. And the tree will be stark naked. Does that mean it's dead? No. No, well, what's happening? Well, down in the root system, the life, energy, and force of that tree is being protected through the winter. Now, think about that. That means that as a Christian, my roots, my roots, now, I know this is plastic. Okay, okay, you don't you tell me that. But our roots are hidden. You can't see the roots. And all the foliage up here that you see is a manifestation of the roots. And whatever the life is in the roots, it's going to be expressed here. This is an oak leaf. It expresses the life force of an oak. But the life of the oak is hidden down in the roots. Farmers in Iowa used to tell me, Pastor, if you want to grow a good crop of corn, you don't go out every morning and jerk on the corn stalks and try to make them get taller. So what you do is you nurture the roots. You take away any other plant that's going to absorb nutrients. You fertilize. 
you make sure there's water, you take care of the roots, and the roots will take care of the stalk. And the roots will express through the stalk both leaves and fruit in terms of corn. Okay? Now, you should sense this morning that if you're here with us, that we are rooted in hidden fortunes or resources. And just as the plant shows its life in the form and function of its upper visible part, what is hidden down here is evident out here. So we who have our roots in God have a public persona in this world. And, and that's what he goes on to say. He says, now listen, when Christ who is, our, who is our life will appear, then you'll see all that we really are. Until that time, our life and its sources, its resources are all hidden with God. So it's safe, it's secure. None of that, it's adequate, it's abundant. And it's mediated to us by the person and power of the Holy Spirit. So, so no matter where we are, no matter what the external circumstances, or to put it another way, the plant is in no way dependent upon the outward environment for its survival. Its survival comes because its roots, and as long as the roots are nourished, the plant's going to do fine. And as long as we protect and draw upon our resources and our roots, then our lives are going to be just fine. And whether sickness comes or whether uh, difficulty comes or whatever comes, it really doesn't matter because our lives are not dependent upon external, immediate, earthly, earthbound, limited resources. Got that? Got that? Say amen. amen. Good. Now, think with me for a moment. Paul goes on to say, since our roots are in heaven, then we are to, in the earth, deal with how we allow ourselves to express ourselves in terms with some activities. He names some. And they're not nice things. They are dead wrong. They are things that incur God's wrath. God is not, uh, God is not favorable to a number of things that our society says are okay. Got that? Society doesn't dictate reality. And society doesn't dictate truth. God does. Are your roots showing? Well, maybe indirectly. If the fruit and the leaves are good, we know that all is well down underground in the secret place of the inner life with God. Jim has mentioned hidden fortunes and a heavenly focus as markers of a good church. Tomorrow we'll get the third indicator, all taken from Colossians chapter 3. The sermon is called The People of God. If you'd like to get the message on CD, we'll send that to you for a gift of $7 or more. It opens a brand new series, also called The People of God. There will be 17 sermons available together on disc for your offering of $59 or more. And speaking of gifts, this Right Start broadcast, August 1st, 2023, is a gift for you from some other listeners who thought you would enjoy it and benefit from it. If you've been blessed by this gift, please consider paying it forward. Call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. 
and somehow get over to that website, rightstartradio.org. We archive the radio shows each day so you can play those with just a click. Even easier, we can shoot new programs to you automatically if you'll subscribe to the Right Start podcast on iTunes. To enjoy the sermons without broadcast breaks, you can play or download the complete messages. Donate, email us, and more at rightstartradio.org. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. If we're focused on heaven and living out of divine resources, what's left? What else could anyone ask of a group of Christians? Well, a fair amount, actually. Let's discuss on Wednesday's Right Start. Thank you.